0: Welcome to the Green Matters Podcast, where we curate the conversations around decarbonisation, sustainability, and renewables. We bring together experts from all areas of the green marketplace, including technology, leadership, R&D, finance, investment, and governance, or government intervention. The podcast aims to create a space to both promote and challenge ideas, share visions for the future and discuss how the world will change over the coming years. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Burke, Scotland and Northern Ireland Manager at Elmhurst Energy, the UK's largest independent provider of energy assessment, training, software and accreditation established in 1993, Elmhurst has grown to become an industry-leading and government-approved membership for energy and retrofit professionals. We're also joined by my colleague Paul McGilvery, the Legal and Commercial Officer at Decarbonisation Investment Group, United Capital. Firstly, welcome to both of you to Green Matters. Thanks for joining us. And just to get us started, Jonathan, could you just tell us a bit more about yourself and about Elmhurst Energy?
1: Sure. Uh, Good morning, Fraser and yourself, Paul, and thank you very much to you both uh, for the invitation to come along. Uh, So, yes, thank you also for the explanation about Elmhurst. Um, Many of your listeners will be familiar with energy performance certificates. um, So that legal document that must be produced whenever a property is sold. built or there's a change in tenancy and uh, the way that those documents come about is uh, by being produced by energy assessors of various types and the way in which uh, an individual person becomes an energy assessor is by having that status conferred on them through membership of an accreditation scheme or an approved organisation and as you quite rightly say Elmhurst is the largest of the accreditation schemes uh, within the UK both in terms of Energy Performance Certificate lodgements and member numbers. Um, My own role very much acts as the the interface between member firms in Scotland and Northern Ireland and people within Elmhurst, uh, central government and other key stakeholders. And it's ultimately with a view to maximising any and all opportunity out there for our respective member firms to grow and develop their respective businesses.
0: Brilliant. Thanks for that, Jonathan. And so in in terms of um, uh, the process of decarbonisation, this is a word that gets obviously thrown around quite a lot just now. It's a huge focus from the the top levels of world leaders right down to um, domestic homeowners, etc. How important is it to understand exactly where you are today
1: or where your property is today? in order to then take steps to move forward? Well, that's of fundamental importance, not only uh, when we take account of the, the various legal requirements, um, which have uh, resulted from the European performance of uh, Buildings Directive to do precisely that. But also when we look at measuring performance against the various targets out there, whether they're um, government led or factored into the planning stage of a project, um, as after all that can only be demonstrated as having been met if you have a baseline to measure against. Um, And that's precisely where the the energy assessor, whether that's a chartered surveyor or a cost consultancy member, for example, um, at Elmhurst come into their own, because these are the individual people and firms who are out there to advise and guide clients uh, precisely on that strategy to decarbonise.
0: Right. And um, just for, I think, for the benefit of of our listeners, I think we're all aware of EPCs, because we've heard the term of, you know, we've sold a house or we've looked at a house online to buy and we've we've seen the report. What what goes into that document to then spit out the, you know, that, that kind of traffic light type system and what actually happens there?
1: So we begin by looking at what building initially is being assessed, whether that's a domestic or a non-domestic uh premises for example and even within that whether it's a building that's being newly constructed or undergoing major refurbishment or if it's an existing dwelling uh that's having an assessment uh, conducted within it now there are some national calculation methodologies in place which are government endorsed and sanctioned um and uh, Whether you look at the SAP methodology that's used in the domestic setting or the SBEM uh, uh, side used in non-domestic, there's a very clear process and methodology that must be followed by an energy assessor to suitably um, ascertain the energy efficiency um, of a building. So typically that's going to involve looking um, at the fabric of the building, the construction type, the year of construction, depending whether the person's operating in a new build capacity or if they're looking at an existing uh, dwelling that's going to involve uh, taking account of certain default values so the U values the thermal efficiency of walls and elements of the the property itself Um, the energy assessor will also then begin to look at the heating system within the property um, the hot water and the lighting Um, they may also take it a stage further to look at the um, appliances used within the premises, but ultimately it is an asset based approach um, and can be conducted on vacant premises um, as, e- as equally as those uh, occupied. But there is great movement out there towards taking into account the occupancy um, of premises and how the people living within the, uh, actually use the energy and how they consume it and what sort of behavioural change that could affect uh, also. Okay, so do you, have you seen
0: in your experience then that the the stuff behind an EPC, um, is that becoming much more smart now Um, and more sophisticated in terms of how it calculates the rating versus maybe where it was 10 years ago?
1: Yeah and 2022 is actually going to be quite a seismic year out there in terms of the methodology so we'll see the release of the SAP 10 methodology um, used in a domestic setting. Um, So at the moment, the um, under the bonnet stuff, if you like, that's taking place is based on SAP 2012. Um, So that's coming up for nearly 10 years out of date, uh, with various figures and default values therein, and perhaps uh, needing an overhaul. Um, Also, there'll be an update to the SBEM methodology um, used to assess uh, non domestic premises and that links in nicely with a lot of the advances we've seen in terms of measured energy performance so you'll you'll often hear about the the performance gap um, of which there can be many many different gaps out there between what's designed or what's planned in a building and what's actually uh, present when the building is uh, assessed and that can range from the energy carbon cost Comfort factors, air quality, damp, mould, and so on and so forth. So there's been a, a massive sea change in the background over how we go about measuring other factors uh, mm-hmm. within the built environment, um, and uh, these will always feature um, quite prominently with the uh, underlying national calculation methodologies that will be in use.
0: Okay, and I know again, I think we're all um, pragmatic enough to know that they're they're won't ever be a perfect way to um, to assess and monitor. And APCs have obviously been, that's what we've got and they're, they're continuously developed and updated. And just before we started this conversation, I'd asked you a question about air source heat pumps specifically. And actually, I I, I think you explained it so well, I'd like us to get it on, on the podcast. So um, I had put to you that some of our businesses focus a lot on air source heat pumps but we're seeing that EPC um, calculations don't it kind of view them particularly favourably um, when when the, the calculations come out. Can you just kind of talk us through that and explain why that is?
1: Yeah, that, that may be the case in a lot of situations. It, it, essentially it goes back to the formulation of the, the methodology um, a number of years ago, 15 or so years ago, where um, when it was decided that a certain metric has to be used that will demonstrate the energy efficiency of a property, that the the metric that was chosen at that point was all to do with cost. So that was seen as the great motivator Uh, towards homeowners and landlords actually doing something so if they could look at how much they could save for example through the installation of energy efficiency measures so the SAP band rating of a property the EPC band rating of a property is based on a cost-based metric although interestingly if you were to ask people nowadays in this more climate aware environment we find ourselves in. What does energy efficiency mean to them? They might say it's about reducing carbon, or it's about being more thermally efficient, or reducing energy consumption, or having increased comfort values. But we have uh, at the moment this situation where a cost-based metric is what's used. And fundamentally, the the cost-based metric looks at how much does it cost uh, to heat a square meter within that property. And when we're in an environment where Gas prices might be four and five pence a kilowatt hour, whereas electricity, uh, i.e. the the power source uh, that's uh, supplying a heat pump um, is at 10 and 14 and 15 pence, for example, a kilowatt hour. You can see that right away it will cost more for um, a heat pump to operate. Now that's ignoring incidentally uh, uh, the COPs and the overall efficiency of a heat pump and how much is actually delivered to within the property. But the, the EPC doesn't at the moment, the methodology doesn't take account of that fully so much so that there's a blocker within the EPC where someone may not be encouraged to switch from mains gas to an electrified heat source within the house which sounds like madness when you think about the environment that we live in at the moment, that we're moving towards decarbonising and uh, trying to reduce the consumption and then ultimately eliminate uh, mains gas consumption within the UK. Um, Thankfully, um, governments are aware of this, and there's no doubt whatsoever that the EPC and the methodology over time will evolve to take account of that. Um, So much so that recently here in Scotland, the government consulted on reforming the entire nature of domestic EPCs so to introduce an additional metric which will be concerned with the energy use within a property um, and it'll be interesting to see the way that that rolls out in the months and years ahead as hopefully a way of uh, encouraging greater uptake of uh, electrified sources of heat
0: absolutely I, I, clearly um, both yourself and Elmhurst are, have got their finger on the pulse on this stuff um I know that your website you put you regularly put up articles kind of explaining some of this stuff so for any of our mm-hmm. listeners that want to know a bit more they can head over to to the website and we'll 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 get the web address at the end of the podcast. Um Paul I'm going to throw uh, over to yourself here. Paul you um one you understand the value of this stuff you um you walk the talk you've done a lot of work in your own Home. You're also managing director of uh, commercial property, a uh, business centre where you focus on things like energy efficiency around the building. Um, on a domestic level, Paul, what to what degree did you use the EPC when you were considering what you wanted to do? Did you just know you wanted to do something? Did you use an EPC to kind of steer you in the right direction? And at the end of it. Have you seen the the movement on that scale that you expected to see?
2: Yeah, I mean, i I, I did see just uh, talking basic um basic band ratings on the EPC. So my my EPC moved from a C and a D to uh, to uh, to Bs. um and uh, that was with. The three, um, uh, you know, e- energy decarbonisation um, elements to it. So I had the air source heat pump installed, the um, battery storage, and I also had solar panels as well installed. So those three. Uh, were deemed to be when I I spoke uh, with Home Energy Scotland about it initially, and they reviewed the EPC, they said that that would probably be the best way to go. It's retrofitting a 1980s build, and I'll go into more detail Uh, about my journey in an upcoming blog but essentially it was a big driver for me as part of the decarbonisation journey to try and get that epc up to as far up to an a as possible now jonathan makes a good point about you know how these these bandings work and how you know uh, air source heat pumps you know perhaps not given the 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 gravitas that they they should be given uh, given the fact that you know i don't have any gas uh, instrument in the house anymore you know everything's done through the air source heat pump and um, and, I, and I do think that you know that 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 is something that should be considered within the calculations because there's nothing now going into the atmosphere from the, the gas um, and, and of course if I've got my um, my electricity from a carbon uh, neutral um, application or it could be from wind you know Scotland's got huge uh, wind resource um, then, you know, I, I'm basically running a, you know, a, a, a zero uh, carbon uh, in my house, you know, and so that that to me was was one of the biggest drivers for me to make the changes and get the retrofitting of this older property to be up to a modern standard and also to see. You know how that EPC rating is going to lift. so I was disappointed I, you know that's something that I'll, that that I have said in my blog I was disappointed that it didn't hit the a banding. however, you know from a D to a B you know and a you know a, a low c to to you know an upper b you know it is it is something that uh, that i'm I'm quite pleased about but again the a would have been better yeah
0: <laughs> and I, I know. I know you. I know the journey you went through to to get these um, measures put into the house. So it'll be good to have a read on the blog, and no doubt we'll talk about more of your journey on the, you know various different episodes that we 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 cover. And um, Jonathan, we we sorry, we've talked about EPCS with with Elmhurst. Um, can we switch and talk a little bit about software um, and just the uh, the role that that the kind of tech has to play in um, and this, as we move forward, and also as technologies, in terms of the decarbonisation side of things, adapt and change. How will Elmhurst adjust software to to kind of best suit what's what's out in the market?
1: Sure. Well, fundamentally, the softwares that are used in the production of EPCs are government approved um, so the national calculation methodologies must be applied through um, the application of uh, government approved software of which quite obviously Elmhurst is actively involved in the creation of and the delivery um, out there for energy assessors and um, so much so that we actually have um, a team whose sole purpose is to ensure compliance with uh, all regulations who come along, uh, which come along from a software perspective. Um, and you'll notice uh, a massive movement later this year with the release of SAP 10 in particular. Um, But we've also developed a number of tools to assist. For example, lately uh, PAS 2035 retrofit coordinators become more familiar with uh, some of the considerations around building physics. Um, That's an area of expertise traditionally uh, for those um, on construction and new build energy assessors out there. But we've noticed lately a lot more uh, retrofit coordinators are um, Taking up the offer to become familiar with the SAP methodology to consider air permeability and air tightness planning within projects um, to look at moisture management um, and I think that going forward some of the, the tremendous effort that's going into how we monitor how effective a retrofit program has been by closing that gap between what's been planned and what's been delivered will be a phenomenal area uh, for growth in the months ahead and that will be augmented by the various uh, software releases that we have in the pipeline.
0: Good good stuff all sounds good and I think um, that from a retrofit perspective and I know that that's a, a really kind of key area for for Elmhurst um, United Capital and our group of businesses tend to focus on that part of part of the, the equation as well that the there's a huge built environment already and actually historically buildings are not particularly energy efficient so we need to do something to them the the new build stuff fine we can put in the latest and greatest technologies but actually the real trick is in taking some of the carbon out of that existing um, built environment so I suppose our businesses can work together on this I know that, um, that Elmhurst already work with one of our group companies, Saltire, so it'll be great to have a conversation and see um, uh, what we can do uh, and we can work together more across our wider group of of businesses. Um, Jonathan, can you, if we talk about the kind of bigger sustainability picture, what do you think's been the biggest driver towards sustainability in the either the past 12 months and then kind of a bit further beyond that maybe the last five years
1: a a massive uh, increase in consumer awareness and uh, the demand for information about what to do that's evident for everyone to see we've we've seen that sort of crystallize around about the time of the cop 26 Uh, taking place in Glasgow back in November Um, and then of course in recent months with the uh, energy crisis that's building when we look at the way that the the gas prices are uh, soon to amend quite significantly uh, for many of us with the removal of the cost cap or the review of the cost cap um, on the horizon um, there's also been a lot more chatter I'm experiencing, anecdotally even out with Elmhurst, you know, with uh, friends and uh, family members asking a few more questions that they they wouldn't ordinarily have asked in the past. Um, One of the, the major releases last year was the Scottish Government's heat and building strategy, it sets out the overarching uh, direction of travel, I suppose, for what we're going to do over um, the, the coming years. And that has to be very much read in tandem with the uh, considerations around the Fuel Poverty Act, because we do have an obligation to each other within society, and as do the government themselves, to be aware, especially when we chat about the electrification of heat and rising prices and so on and so forth, that that will sadly lead to a number of our uh, fellow citizens um, finding themselves in a state of fuel poverty or extreme pure fuel poverty. And I feel that we all have an obligation as a society to help each other and what we can do. Um, so it's definitely uh, led to a, a massive uh, groundswell of interest out there, as I think is clear for all, to us, for all of us to see. And that in turn has led, um, as I am frequently informed by various uh, Elmhurst member firms, for a lot more information. Um, a lot more detail over what they can do and what steps people can take to improve their homes, uh, what sources of funding will be out there. And uh, interestingly, we're now b- beginning to see a lot of movement coming from lenders in particular, mortgage lenders um, who are looking at uh, various products they can offer out to their mortgage holders, etc., cetera, um, to help assist in the funding of the installation of energy efficiency measures to reduce consumption.
0: Yeah, it does feel like um, it's almost a kind of squeeze from all directions, really. There's the the kind of consumer demand that, you, you know, government are pushing. There's there's opportunities as well, and there's funding and grant monies, et cetera. Um, there, there will then come the penalties and the fines that will no doubt come at some point. And I mean we're kind of seeing some of the the penalty bits. The EPC ratings obviously one, especially when it comes to things like buy to let landlords, et cetera, that it is almost being used as a bit of a um a bit of a penalty. Not quite, but it's you know, it's getting there that we're starting to draw some lines in the sand, I think. Um and I, I agree, I think consumer demand has been the biggest drive of it. I'm not sure if I understand exactly where that change of consumer drive has come from, if it's just that we all have more access to information, maybe there's just a greater understanding of climate change and the the climate change challenge um, that exists, or perhaps we maybe just care more. Do we just care more than our our parents cared and their parents cared? Um, I think it's more about information and we have access to more knowledge now than we had before, and we can make and more informed decisions and choices Um I, I think that's what it is and again the world's a, a small place now so actually our choice to buy from something from someone that aligns with our values is easier than it was historically for our, our parents our grandparents who couldn't choose where they bought some things it was it was because it was the only shop in town or or whatever it is and um, so I, I agree Paul what about um, what's your opinion on things on you know how the both the energy markets have changed, and that um, uh, that driver for the change. I,
2: th- I think we can't underestimate how um, how big COP twenty six has been, and uh, the drive uh, there politically and in the media, and uh, and everything that came out of a result of that. Um, you know, in Glasgow, it, it it was it was absolutely enormous, and I think that with that has been you know a, a complete shift. And change in attitudes as we uh, move towards, you know, um, a, you know, a further decarbonised economy. So on the political spectrum, all the way through to, uh, you know, from you know businesses to the uh, residential, you know, domestic customers, the. The the opportunity is is uh, really uh, there to maximise the the or well to minimise the the carbonization you know minimise the carbon footprint across the spectrum and also uh, on the other hand to maximise the 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 businesses that are going into this this area they need you know grant funding etc and, and I think it'll have to be carrot uh, between now and you know at least twenty thirty. Uh, and then you know if they are going to drive taxes etc with it, uh, you know with the stick um, on it, then you know perhaps after twenty thirty that's that's maybe the point. But you know you just never know how things are going to change you know you can see that there's been quite a lot of uh, quantitative easing over uh, for the coronavirus um, uh, you know pandemic so because of that there may be you know tighter budgets um, than perhaps would have had otherwise and as a result um, you know there's been um, there's been issues um, with that so it might have an impact on some of the grant funding and things that come that are coming out what is a even from you know my own personal journey is that you know the, the layers of bureaucracy to try and get funding for things and and the the, the machine that, that deals with that it's it's really bloated it's it's got a lot of problems with it um and because of that it's difficult then you know on my personal experience it's been difficult then to get the funding and to do these these um these sort of uh, energy efficiency um uh, uh, schemes so it's 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 difficult to get that in and as a result of that you know you then look elsewhere perhaps you know um i've i've not done any research on australia but certainly i've been told from people who live in australia that they've got a different methodology and it's it's a lot more um, it's a lot more succinct. It's you know it's, it seems to work. You know the technical information doesn't go through the customer; it goes uh, directly um, to the installer. And so, if we look elsewhere and see what else is happening worldwide, you know we can share best practice and you know ensure that um, the the grant funding and and things like that, that the government are trying to get out there. They're trying to push this. You know the that will then flow in quite nicely. But there's a whole dose of issues as well at the moment, even with supply chain issues with um, you know air source heat pumps. I think Boris Johnson said quite um, recently that we would maybe start the, the doing the air source heat pumps uh, within the UK. We would start manufacturing them within the UK. There's a lot of difficulties with that too, that the industry have already said. So the, I, I think at the moment they're still trying to find their feet as to where it's going to go next. But having said that, though, there's a huge uh, amount of pressure politically and a, a lot of pressure from um, from the, the, the population at large to try and get these um, decarbonisation agendas out there. And of course, you know, let's see what technology will come out of it.
1: Yeah, and I would uh, agree with that, Paul. And one thing we've always uh, advocated at. Uh... Elmhurst is for people to make their voices heard on this so for example apologies for the shameless plug but on the Elmhurst homepage under the uh, information tab not only do you have the news archive which as you mentioned Fraser's a very rich repository of information about what's going on out there there's also a separate tab for government consultations so we make the effort at Elmhurst to publish those anything that's involved in this space. We publish the consultation when they come out. Uh, We also set in place the mechanism for not only Elmhurst member firms but for anyone uh, to respond either through us or directly to the various governments of the UK with their own thoughts and feedback because very often you'll find that when the legislation comes along some people might clamour in the background for certain changes they would like to have seen or the perception they might not have been listened to. But a lot of the time you drill down into the detail and they, they haven't responded. They haven't made their voice heard to the government. So I would always actively encourage anyone, even if it is to introduce the concept of uh, some of the information you might have picked up on the Australian model, for example. I'll, I'll need to look into that myself actually out of interest um, to get that jotted down in the response that goes back to government because they do review everything and they are then duty bound to respond with their own uh, thoughts on it ultimately.
0: That's good yeah no I think uh, your website has got loads of great stuff on it as I said I've spent a bit of time um, on there having a look through it so there's plenty of stuff there and I would encourage anyone to to go and have a look. Um, My last question for you Jonathan is a bit more of a kind of pie in the sky future gazing type thing but what do you think the built environment will look like in 2050 which is this kind of like line in the sand when we're talking about climate change?
1: Yeah that's a a great question I suppose to qualify that with a couple of statistics out there so um, roughly 80% of the buildings that are with us today will still be here in 2050 Um, but given that at the moment, around about 28% of the uh, greenhouse gas emissions in the UK come from those buildings, then I think it's fairly safe to say they're going to look vastly different in very uh, uh, different ways come 2050. Um, Put simply, we all know that the cheapest energy out there and a way of uh, reducing consumption is the the energy that you don't use. Um, And we have to look at the effective insulation of a building as being the core part of how you uh, minimise consumption within it. So aesthetically, elevations and the the way that a building appears is likely to look different from how it does at the moment, Um, how various uh, areas of uh, thermal bridging within buildings will have to be addressed, typically corners, junctions and interfaces between elements and how it all fits together. We'll also, I suspect, see massive differences in the behavioural aspect of the buildings and how the occupants, whether that's a residential home or a tenant within a commercial premises, how they actually use energy. um, That's likely to coincide with uh, massive movements in the internet of things approach if you like in various smart technologies where many of us will control our heating systems at the moment through an app on our phone Um, but in the years ahead we're likely to look at uh, more involvement um, in a similar way in terms of appliances and uh, our EV car that we'll have parked outside the house in 2050. Um, Will that EV car be used as a form of battery storage or will we also be like Paul and we'll have some form of battery storage within the house? Who knows? But there's there's, there's no denying that it will, it will look ostensibly um, with 80% of the buildings still being here. They might look uh, vaguely similar, but I think when you look at the insulation levels, the heating systems and how the occupants use them, it will be vastly different from what we see today. Excellent.
0: I think it's um... It's funny it's one of those things that you know we look back to some of the maybe the cartoons we watched as kids and some of the buildings that were on you think it's probably not that far away from where we're going to end up and I th- I think fundamentally will change how we live actually I I was just down in London um yesterday and we um we popped for uh, up to Paddington for a meeting a, a new development the whole area has been regenerated around Paddington and um it's been built so you, you don't really need to leave. So you live, you work, you know, your kids are then educated and you can shop, et cetera, all in this tiny little community. Mm. Um, and it feels like that's maybe the future that you, you really, you don't move much. <laughs> and <laughs> apart from maybe holidays, hopefully anyway, we still move for, for holidays, but it kind of feels like you we can make everything come to us. We can be much more efficient, in the way we live by not having to move around and use energy to move around um, for various different parts of our life. Um, and this, this the area we were in, yeah, you kind of felt like you could do that. It felt like yeah, I, I could see me living here, my family living here, and not really needing to leave much, albeit I would, because I'd want to, but you wouldn't need to leave. So um I don't know, maybe that's where we're getting
1: to that um we it's lock, stock, and barrel change on the way that humans live. Yes, and it's where it links in with other um elements to the economy here because with the built environment currently contributing, what, just under a third towards greenhouse gas emissions, another third is coming from transportation and that links in with that in that situation and will we be jumping on some hydrogen powered bus at that point who knows um, I was on one quite recently I must say didn't really notice any difference um, but it's all part of the of various national infrastructure programs that will need to come along that's all inevitable but at the same time they better be joined up they better all work and enhance each other yeah, I think that
0: I think that's the most important bit, Jonathan that um, and I think cop twenty six for me as a, a bit of a layman looking in, um that's the bit for me that that feels encouraging that we're joining the dots now. I think you know no one's in any, under any illusions that a lot of people are doing a lot of good and uh, creating and uh, um, you know a lot of new technologies that will solve a lot of problems. But it felt quite desperate before, whereas COP26 for me just felt I, this is an all under one roof, we're all in this um, this basket together trying to solve the problem. And I think more events like COP26 and, and, and improved visibility of events like COP26 just allows us all to understand what maybe this, this massive great big solution to this massive great big problem is going to be. Um, so, well, we could continue talking, Jonathan. We don't have time to continue um, chatting and chatting. But hopefully, um, as you said, you're going to come through um, to our neck of the woods and we can have a, a coffee and a proper chat um, offline about some of this stuff. But if you can just kind of wrap things up, if you just if you can
1: tell us the
0: um, the Elmhurst website and if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can
1: they do that? Sure. So the Elmhurst uh, website is www.elmhurst.com elmhurstenergy.co.uk there's a contact us uh, facility on that and my own details are there Um quite active on social media as well well particularly LinkedIn so any listeners who want to expand further on any elements of this can feel free to send through a connection request and uh, pick up offline as well
0: right thanks very much Jonathan at Elmhurst energy and Paul as always thanks for joining me on Green Matters. It's been a great conversation um, and actually a a topic that I think we all have a level of knowledge of. So it's been really good to get into a bit more detail on it. Um, I know it's something that there's loads of little bits that people will take away from that. And and as you say, if people want to know a bit more about um, EPCs and all of the work that Elmhurst do, pop over to the website and have a look. Thanks again
1: and all the best, Jonathan. Cheers. Thank you very much, gents.
0: That brings us to the end of another episode of Green Matters, our podcast curating conversations in the green marketplace. Uh, thanks very much to our special guests and huge thanks to our podcast sponsors, the Carling Group, the Family Investment Office of Graham and Leanne Carling that invests in the consolidation and decarbonisation of the healthcare, real estate and building services sector. This podcast wouldn't happen without the very generous support. So thanks again and thanks for listening.